What are the competitive advantages of being a digitally enabled organization? This week on the IMI Talking Leadership Podcast, we're joined by Fiona O'Carroll, who recently held a leadership webinar as part of IMI's corporate membership offering to take a closer look at the dualities of digital. Fiona is a globally recognized expert on digital mindset, digital transformation, and e-commerce. She's a senior international executive with a 25-year track record of achievement in a variety of leadership roles. So I'm delighted today to be joined on the IMI Talking Leadership podcast by Fiona O'Carroll, who held a fascinating webinar with us recently on the subject of decoding digital. And obviously, Fiona, uh, it's great to have you on the podcast today. Plenty to discuss, and I can't wait to, uh, to get into it with you. Great. Thanks, Dave. Delighted to be here. So Fiona, just to kick off, I suppose, um, I just wanted to start with kind of, start of looking at kind of a wider angle at, at digital in general. And just to ask you, on a large scale, what would you say would be the kind of key competitive advantages for businesses of being a digitally enabled organization, whatever exactly uh, that means in terms of definition? Yeah, Dave, a great actual question and a great place to start. And you know, I think you're right. Let's start with the de- definition of what is a digitally enabled organization. And then, you know, what are the competitive advantages? So a digitally enabled organization is one that has a digital mindset, right, overall. Um, and just to talk about, well, what does that mean, right? What does it mean to have a digital mindset? Well, there's kind of three pillars uh, to having a digital mindset. One is... Um, that digital is embedded in the strategic thinking of the organization. So as opposed to it just being executional in nature in their overall strategy, it's actually the driver of the strategy. In order for that to happen, the mindset is that the leadership in the business understands the fundamentals of digital and the impact it is having on uh, the world around us how they're serving their customer, their business model. So they're really understanding that we are in an era shift from, let's call it the industrial era, uh, to the digital era. And we're in the toes of that. And depending on the industry you're in, you could be way over on the digital era uh, uh, part of that continuum, right? Or depending on the industry, and you might be moving more through from industrial to digital, right? So they understand that and they understand it fundamentally. They understand what digital is and they have a common definition across the business. So they know that it's actually about data and connectivity. And that's what's driving all this transformation. Um, And they fully understand, therefore, that the competitive advantage that they had in the industrial era paradigm is shifting. That's number one. So that's so that in itself is a core competitive advantage, right? Because they are now really in in terms of the lens they're looking through, it's the right lens for their era they're in. So therefore, the thinking and how they're approaching strategy, et cetera, is through the right lens, which immediately gives them a competitive advantage. That's important. Number two is. Uh, in a digital mindset is then that their organizational model, now that they've understood it and they understand how to embed it in strategy, then their organization model is fit for the era. 
again. So they'll, they'll have understood that they need a flat organization structure because in the industrial era, it would have been much more hierarchical nature and that was the horse for the course and that suited that. They'll understand that doesn't work anymore. Why? Because we have to have turbocharged decision-making, have to move at speed. So you take out every layer of the hierarchy we can. They know that. And they know, therefore, if we're pushing decision-making down and we're taking down the hierarchy, we need to have very high levels of trust collaboration you know as a cultural norm no silos right or we'll end up with you know the random acts of digital because everything's siloed and they are have embedded digital first thinking and all their design of the customer experience everything they're doing you know test and learn is going to be a norm again this is an enormous competitive advantage they've created for themselves because they've now two pillars in the digital mindset right and then thirdly is the mindsets itself so as a component you know it with this overall lens how we're decoding information how we're approaching what we do they they understand the mindset that they need for this area is a growth mindset versus a fixed mindset because we have to be collaborative we have to be able to test and learn. You know, we have to be able to view failure as learning. Uh, take risk has to be part of the DNA of the organization. And of course, overall, our KPIs in the business have to reward this behavior. So it's really a top down leadership uh, shift across those three pillars. And the result of that is that the organization will have competitive advantage and competitive advantage will be then delivered to uh, through their ability to actually deliver truly digitally first, right? Uh, products, services, offerings, and how they go to market. That's the ultimate competitive advantage. So that's the shift that's taken place in how they're approaching what they're doing, no longer with the industrial era mindset, but with a digital era mindset. Yeah, that's fascinating. And I love the the breakdown you had there, a couple of great um, points in terms of the turbocharged decision-making, which I think is a great way to put it, and uh, avoiding these, as you call them, random acts of digital, which I think is, is great. So it has to be that sort of um, cohesive approach. Um, and in your session, actually, Fiona, you did uh, speak about the difference between what you called industry and arena in terms of the strategic mindset shift that's required. Would you be able to just kind of explain that for the listeners and maybe just the kind of high level implications that they have for, for leaders? Yeah, sure. So again, uh, Dave, tying back to sort of the industrial era thinking versus digital era thinking, you know, kind of at the core of all of this. And just to emphasize, of course, that that is an enormous shift, right? That's like going from agricultural era to industrial era. So it's that big. And, I, and I'm emphasizing that so that leadership understands the nature of the seismicness of the shift they're in, which is a really positive thing to understand it. But to talk about those differences, and I do reference them. Um, the work and thought leadership of Rita Gunter McGrath. She's in Columbia University in the US, in New York. And um, she coined the term arenas, right? Arena thinking. So let me explain it to you because uh, in all the work I've done, I find this particular work by Rita to be most helpful and her thinking in the area. So basically, if we look at the industrial era and the toolkit we would have used to do strategy formulation, et cetera, et cetera. And if we were educated in that era, you know, the way we would have approached and been trained uh, to approach strategy formulation, we would have started with a definition of industry. 
So we'd say, well, what industry are we in? And then we look at the competitive landscape, you know, and we'll map our strategies, strengths, weaknesses, all that good stuff. So we defined industry as the group of companies, groups of companies that are, are related based on their primary uh, business activities, right? So we'd say, that's the industry. All these companies are in our industry based on their primary business activity. And based on that, then we formed our view on market strategies, business models. And then, you know, also, of course, given the era we're in, we did see competitive advantage as something that was relatively stable. So that's kind of our using the definition. If we if we use industry and that traditional definition of industry, then that's how our basis for formulating strategy. Now, with the big shift to the digital era, that could be a fatal flaw from day one, step one in our strategy formulation if we're using that definition. So why? It's because digital and digitization has been one of the drivers of, a, of breaking down traditional barriers to entry into an industry. And we're seeing that all over the place. So if we if we look at it now lots of industries and more to come are relatively boundaryless right because we're we're transacting digitally it's all happening digitally right um, and and therefore they're more barrier free from a market entry point of view and so traditional barriers to entry are falling and the disruptions in our industries are happening at a much faster pace which is hurting competitive advantage that might have been more sustained for the long term. So uh, Rita uh, Gunter-McGrath then coined a term for us to use in this era, which she calls arenas. And she says, these are like pots of resources that companies can go after. Budgets, you know, uh, like if I was in a consumer business, it might be addressable household spend, right? So, so we look at this available resource and then we're saying, can I contest that based on assets I have, which could be my brand, my relationship with a consumer group and my capability to pivot something I do today now digitally into serving. I'm serving a need of uh, in the old days I called industry of this grouping this way. But guess what? With a pivot, I could now move into another area with the capabilities I have and also serve this customer group. Right. So so that means we are going to be our what we currently call industry is going to get contested by various players. And often these will come from outside of the traditional grouping. Right. Uh, so an example of that, would obviously, a household name now is if we look at banking. Right. And all of the disruption that's now going on in banking and it's outside players that if you did your definition of the industry would not have shown up on the map are coming into the space. Another one. Uh, so you'd have revolution being a huge example of totally disrupting, but they came from outside of the traditional space. Uh, Amazon. You know, they've shown up in food. They've shown up in construction. Imagine mm -hmm. modular construction. And I'm sure if you had an industry view 
of that business and the traditional players that look at that way, they wouldn't have mapped them in. They're making movies, right? <laughs> They're now in the movie industry. So obviously I'm using uh, household names, classic examples, but at a micro level, this is now happening in all industries, right? So very important that we understand that. And instead of defining our strategic lens through industry, we say, arenas what are the pots of resources we can go after because that means we may now broaden our definition and have more opportunity for growth but also we're now much more cognizant of others can come into our backyard because of the breakdown of the barriers to entry because of digitization so really for leaders what i'd say is they just need to get clear on this concept because it's so core to strategy formulation uh, as fast as they can, right? And embedded in their strategic thinking because it does represent more opportunity for them, not just threat, right? Um, and they just need a continuous strategic reconfiguration, right? Because competitive advantage is moving from something that was relatively stable to something that is more dynamic and transient. And it's being driven by digital and digitization. That's what's at the root of it. Yeah, and that's really interesting because, you know, you speak about the breaking down the barriers to new players that we see and the kind of you know lower barriers to entry I suppose um what that also brings up is this really interesting current climate that we're in of you know continued uncertainty uh with the war in Ukraine and uh, you know many other factors at the moment so I suppose this question is is around how would you recommend that leaders kind of drive the change that's needed in the digital space when there is such uncertainty there because Inevitably, human nature dictates that in climates of uncertainty, the temptation is to stick with what we know. So how do you kind of overcome that particular barrier uh, as a leader in this in this period? Yeah, I think that's a great question and super relevant in the current context. Look, I think no matter what, even in the current context, I think we can of that we're all operating in with massive upheaval and uncertainty. I think for business leaders, it's really to understand that that is the future, right? This level of uncertainty, okay, we have some particular uh, dynamics going on right now, but all that's going to happen now is this is going to get more and more pace, right? So um, the digital that we're talking about, you know, adding data and connectivity to products and services, right, is is changing everything, right? And the pace of that is only going to get faster and uncertainty is going to be our norm, right? So if we can know that, right, that actually, oh, this is a new uh, strategic reality. Uh, and now with any strategic reality, we always manage for it as leaders. We say, okay, this is, this is my context now. So what's my toolkit, right, for this context? So what I would say is, and it's a great question, is that the climate I foresee will be like this for the foreseeable future because of not only all the global issues, but also the pace at which digital and digitization is transforming industry after industry. Now, the biggest challenge that faces leaders really is to get on what I call unstuck, right? So particularly because we're in an era shift, right? Because we've you know, leaders, depending on where they are, you know, in, in their career ladder are likely to have started their career in, in the industrial era. 
and are likely to have had a lot of their education around you know, leadership, management, strategic planning, et cetera, in the era. So we do need to get unstuck um, from that. Uh, and, and, and there is a particular challenge that we all have as humans, uh, and there's many cognitive biases we have, but there's one I particularly uh, call out in this context, and that's called path dependency, right? And it is our natural bias to stick with the tried and tested, right? To what we know works and what we do well, right? And if we even look at planning, strategic planning, um, historically, we've always said, you know, in a business, okay, let's look at the past, historical data, past, and we use that as a basis for projecting the future, right? So we say, okay, we, you know, here's our product lines, here's what happened in these geographies over the last three years. Now, let's say if we did A, B, and C investment, what would the next three years look like? So I call that kind of uh, present forward planning. So we're taking what we know now and we're projecting the future. Now that has a flaw right in it because of the level of change and uncertainty that's going on. And those plans are sometimes like three years, like even five years, which is totally um, out of the reality of context of strategic planning anymore. It's fine to have a point of view. Absolutely, we want one for five years. We want one for three years. But really, we need a new model for iterating those strategies at a, a minimum every 12 months, but with a very strong strategic review every six uh, based on data. So a tool we can use that's super helpful to help us challenge this path dependency bias. So first of all, recognizing it and saying it's fine. Everyone has it. So no problem. So we recognize it. And then we say, how are we going to manage in the reality that we have uncertainty and we will have a path dependency bias? So a tool that's fantastic to use is called future back planning. So you do your present forward planning, as I just described, but you also do future back planning. And this tool was designed by a company called InnoSight, um, Clayton Christensen, but it is from his, his company, uh, InnoSight. It's a great tool if anyone's, you can use any tool, but I like this one, future back planning, which you do your present forward, but you also start to uh, plan hypothesis and trajectories, potential trajectories for the future because of uncertainty we don't know, right? So we form these hypotheses about the future and then we put little signposts down, they're usually six months, where we're gathering data and saying, okay, now what does it look like based on the hypothesis we formed? Okay, it's more like hypothesis A now, less like hypothesis B. So we both tracks running at the same time, hugely helps us challenge our path dependency because it becomes data driven, right? So to get over the cognitive bias. So that's that's number one. I would think challenge that by using a different toolkit and absolutely embed in your leadership team and in your team that uncertainty is now a given. And therefore we must have planning tools that help us manage uncertainty. In other words, historically, particularly in the digital era, we, we had historic data that was highly reliable. Um, but now it's only reliable about the past. It's no longer as reliable about the future. So we need other mechanisms brought in, right? So I think that's number one. I do think in that context, you know, a step companies can take is absolutely to upgrade the leadership knowledge, you know, and I know 
uh, Dave, I've seen in the IMI some great programs around this specific topic mm -hmm. to just get everybody digital era fit with the knowledge, right? And then obviously to work on mindsets, right? Um, and, and then to be able to bring these new strategic planning toolkits in because if we just bring them in without the context of the why of them, and the imperativeness of them, the path dependency in itself can kill the new strategic planning approach, right? And that's why I always say it's about knowledge and mindset. We need to tackle both at the same time because this change is way more about people and culture, you know, than it is about um, technology. The idea of the future back planning is, is something that I think a lot of leaders will be able to uh, relate to. And that's having that kind of data-driven uh, mindset as you go through it I think it's it's almost um if the way you described it it's almost like it's kind of the range of outcomes and then you're you're, you're we're going back to that turbocharged decision making where every few months it's uh we're kind of coming back and reviewing and so Fiona I suppose um you know I suppose in any kind of organization obviously the habits that are formed are really important and I think that's something that's particularly important in terms of digital so what kind of tactics would you recommend that CEOs try to implement to really kind of embed the habits that would be typically uh, typical of a digitally mature organization? And I suppose we could even look at it from the future back planning perspective of kind of what is a digitally mature organization and how to kind of model our own organizations on that. I mean, a, a digitally mature organization, you know, is one when we, we just uh, reflect on what we said at the opening, right? It has, it totally understands the duality of digital, that it must be embedded in strategy as well as in how strategy is executed, right? That's number one. Uh, number two, it has an organizational model that is fit for purpose, right? Turbocharged decision-making. And it has the associated mindsets, right? Which is much more around a growth mindset is embedded in the organization where it, it fosters test and learn because if we have the level of uncertainty that we spoke about we need to have a mindset of test and learn right which means we have to be able to fail and i don't mean catastrophic failure now i mean small failures because we learn so i like to even rename it to learning as opposed to failing because we can often it's just failing in our um, nomenclature has negative connotation. So just get rid of the word and call it learning. So test and learn. So we need a mindset inside the organization that fosters and rewards that and goes, oh my, oh wow, you get rewards for the learning, right? Because we're in uncertainty and we're biting the elephant off here bites at a time. And the faster we can bite them and the faster we can test and learn, the quicker we advance on the right trajectory on those hypotheses that we mapped out. Okay, so that's what uh, a digitally mature organization fundamentally knows, right? So the tactics or the, you know, uh, approaches CEOs can take is, I think number one is immediately doing a stress test, you know, on, okay, if we look at these characteristics, where do we stand right now? So there's like um, there's different various kind of digital maturity models and things like that you can use little tools, but they they I've summarized some of the characteristics you'll see in those tools and you benchmark yourself and say okay where am I today really important right that we have a reality check on where we are today 
vis-a-vis what a strategically mature organization looks like and then say great we, we understand it under the pillars of strategy organization and mindset we know where we stand today because some companies might over index on one of those pillars you know the strategic the organizational or the mindset just because of their dna their culture you know they may over index on one but we need all three in alignment for, because of the nature of this shift, the seismic nature, we need all, all three pillars moving. They're equally important, right? Some might say the mindset one is more important, but I, I would say they're they're all equally important. Move the three of them together. So that would be step one that I would take is to position yourself because then you know what your next steps need to be to get to the digitally mature organization. You will get there much faster by taking stock of where you are now, because all plans have to start from where am I now to where am I going? So doing a thorough you know, a, a evaluation of that will pay massive dividend because you're going to go much faster uh, and get there faster, frankly, uh, by doing that. So that's number one. Then you have to get everybody aligned behind that, obviously in your leadership team and throughout your organization, that this is where we are, this is where we're going. This is the plan. Right. And we're all buying into this. So we, there's probably I always advise a, a level of education across the board on what this all means. Right. So everybody's on the same page uh, to the imperative. Right. To the economic imperative, frankly, the business has to do this. Um, because if you can't understand it and see the system that it is, which it is, it's three pillars, strategy, organization and mindset, but it's a integrated system. So you need to, to step back and see that and then understand how we're going to move all the parts. The other thing I would say to the CEOs from a tactical point of view is that this cannot be delegated. Right. Often people think, oh, we'll recruit the chief digital officer or, you know, so and so across in this team or that team. And you know what? They'll sort everything. No, we need those roles, too, because they're part of execution. Right. Really a part of executing parts of the strategy. But this cannot be delegated. Right. Because often um, CEOs might feel it's all about technology and that's not my thing. And no, it's not. It's about business strategy right? Embedding digital in your business strategy. So therefore it can't be delegated. Um, so that's just another uh, piece of advice, a tactic that I would have uh, for the company. So then once you have that done and you can start to embed the habits, which will be around, you know, uh, as we talked about the understanding of how you're defining industry you'll have your future back planning in place. You'll also, the successful companies know that it's about business model innovation. So you'll have your current business model. You'll be looking at new business model innovation. The company will be cross-functional, you know, won't be siloed. Also, another tactic is that the KPIs in the company will reward this behavior. You know, the digital mindset, digital era, mature organization behavior will be embedded in the KPIs now because often the KPIs we have unknowns to ourselves are embedding the path dependency behavior, right? So they're the kinds of things um, I think CEOs can do to get themselves, you know, on this track. In terms of the, the fact that a lot of digital transformation projects end up failing to reach their full potential or don't kind of reach their, their end goal, uh, what do you see as the main reason that that's the case? You know, the reports are 75% who are, you know, don't. And you got to look at the level of investment. Like last year alone, we're talking 50 billion, 
invested by corporations in digital translation. So 75% failing or delivering suboptimal results is significant. It's a big, big number, right? Mm -hmm. I, you know, based on the research I've done and uh, the real worldness of this, these would be my top three, right? One is that the company leadership is actually stuck in the industrial era paradigm, right? A lot of what we discussed already. So they're stuck in that and therefore they are using an outdated strategy toolkit that is not fit for purpose for the digital era. So the compass is totally off, right? Mm. And because strategy formulation is central, like central to what the company does, where it invests its uh, scarce resources of capital, people, time, etc. focus, right? Uh, then if that toolkit is not fit for purpose, the compass is off and therefore we are fundamentally going in the wrong direction, potentially, or off-piste, let's call it that, directionally, right? And in that, what happens is the view of the emerging reality, which we've discussed on this uh, podcast together, is distorted. That's number one. Number two for me is that digital is not the driver of strategy, right? It's the enabler strategy in a business, but not the driver strategy in the business, right? So I call that the duality of digital optimist. And um, even you'll ask a company, oh, is strategy, is digital embedded in your strategy? They'll say yes. But then once you unpack it, you see it's all about execution. Is that actually driving the decision making, right? Of, from a strategic point of view. So that's a big one. And it's uh, often the root of that, why of that, is there's a fuzzy definition across the business of what digital means, what it actually means to be in the digital era. Um, and that results in the duality being missed. And then what happens, which is the real Achilles heel, right? Investment happens in this area too little maybe, and then too late, right? So again, we see the suboptimal results. And then number three for me would be that uh, the leadership team don't break free from the current business model until it's too late. These are the ones where a business will feel it is now on a burning platform because its business model is being disrupted, right, uh, by usually these, uh, the, the way the barriers to entry have dropped. They haven't been aware of it. They've been over-focused on the current business model. New kids have been entering. New players have been entering around them with parts of the business model, disrupting parts, but they didn't have a system view of it and see that eventually those new kids would join dots to create a completely new business model and disrupt your business model. So, uh, and that's not seen until it's too late. Now, two things happen. So why is that going on? Because there's what, what's happened in the business. Well, they focused all their effort, even with their digital strategy, on digitizing the existing business model. No net new revenue business models were going on. No test and learn. None of that was happening for new. And often they actually have path dependency. So the cognitive bias is, is, has them by the neck, right? And they're fixated with the existing business model until it's too late. So there's actually, a, you know, a, a, such a deep path dependency 
the signals are there, the flares are going up, people in the organization are down, you know, in the ranks are probably talking about it, going, oh my God, I actually think A, B and C could disrupt us, but there's still, you know, the path dependency so strong at the top, uh, they're sticking with this business model. Now, when you're on the burning platform, like the goal is don't be on one, don't end up till you're there. You know, you need deep pockets. You know, you need a lot of cash to buy your way out of that because you may need to make some significant acquisitions. So if you don't have that, you can end up adrift um, or becoming like a shadow of your former self as a business, right? So that's why don't miss the duality of digital is always my message to everyone. But they are my top three, Dave, from my experience kind of in the field and being a practitioner in this space. Fantastic. And just uh, to finish up, uh, Fiona, um, if you have your crystal ball handy, by all means, uh, take it out. Uh, how do you uh, see the next kind of decade of digital progress playing out? And what do you see as kind of the greatest challenges and opportunities that are out there for leaders? Um, so from my point of view, I think we'll speak kind of they're both challenges. Every, I think everything I'm, I'm going to say in my point of view is both a challenge and an opportunity all depending on do you have your digital mindset lens on or are you caught, you know, in the paradigms of the industrial era? So they can be one or other, depend on the lens you're looking through. So the number one for me is that funding into the space is going to accelerate enormously over the next 10 years. So you can be a part of the consumption of that funding to the benefit of your business because of what you're doing or you're not and by that i mean it's like i think in the last four years or something like four trillion you know mm. it got it flooded in and this is coming in from all the corporate investment all the private equity all the big investment vehicles right funding growth in all these industries are pumping it now into digital digital ways of meeting your customers need right so that's not going to stop that's going to accelerate so are you in that game or are you not in that game depending on the lens you're looking through right so I think that's number one obviously if you don't play in it the gap gets bigger so the divide for those who are in have a digital mindset and are playing in that way and approaching their market in that way and those who aren't is just going to keep getting bigger because the funding is going to enable those who are to move faster. The next one I think for me would be that this rate of hyper-connectivity, this is um, data and connectivity being attached to things, to products and services. This is when I talk about the connectivity, I mean it with no humans in the middle. So some people might call it artificial intelligence, machine learning, whatever. I'm just talking about the data. What is that for the rest of us? That's data and connectivity with no human beings in the middle, right? So, so the thinking's being done by the AI or the machine, right? Mm -hmm. um, or us, right? Some of us. That is gathering such pace. Like there are billions right now, as we talk to each other, Dave, there are billions of those connectivities happening right now across the world, right? And it's fundamentally changing the do business. Cloud, of course, uh, just from a technology point of view, is the digital foundation here. It's so hitting maturity. Uh, this we must be playing here, right? Uh, but it's only going to get faster. So 
for those who are in this space and understand it, it represents huge opportunity. Uh, for those who don't, again, the gap will get bigger. Uh, I think we're going to see businesses really get their heads around data, right, and how to really use it, right, with assisted by the technology. Uh, because I think the first era of digitization, say the last 20 years, because we have been digitizing stuff for a while, uh, gathered data. But a lot of companies didn't really know how to use it and maybe didn't have a lot of the AI components, et cetera, to assist in the true leveraging of that data uh, to drive the business. Uh, I think we're going to see that happen. We're going to see a big maturing of businesses pivoting around how they use their data and create great competitive advantage for themselves. I think the other one for me that I see and I think will grow a lot is that the experience, you know, will be key because a lot of our experience now with um, our customer uh, is digital in nature, how they're interacting with this, obviously huge in B2C and absolutely gaining massive momentum in B2B, right? How we actually interact with our customer and the role digital plays. So I think companies building human-centered design, digital experience capability will be a massive competitive advantage. And I, I would see that as a very strategic uh, function in an organization, for want of a better word, uh, human-centered design thinking um, uh, for the next 10 years. It'll be a big game changer, those who get that right, because we are now interacting so much digitally together. So Fiona Carl, I want to thank you very much for joining me today on the podcast. Really, really appreciate it. Thanks, Dave. It was a pleasure.